Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. WHO estimates a projected shortfall of 18 million health workers by 2030. This mostly refers to low and lower middle income countries. However, countries at all levels of socio-economic development face difficulties in education, employment, retention of their workforce. A recent study of 20,000 doctors from 124 institutions in the US showed that one in five doctors plan to exit healthcare in the next five years. The pandemic hasn't only brought different strains to healthcare workers, it has also showed that parts of work can be done remotely, which radically redefined ways in which we wish to and are prepared to work. Generations today have different expectations of their working conditions and career development. So today, you're going to hear a bit more about what the doctors want. I spoke with Dr. Abena Bubers-Jones, the founder and CEO of Medic Footprints. Medic Footprints is a UK-based company with a mission to bring various career opportunities to doctors, may it be inside or outside healthcare. We talked about what options doctors have and also how to find the right medical professional for your company if you're hiring someone with a medical background. Medic Footprints also has a franchise in Malaysia and next week you're going to hear about healthcare in Malaysia and Medic Footprints there as explained by the founder Selina Chu. So stay tuned and subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the next episode automatically. And visit facesofdigitalhealth.com to learn more about the show and previous episodes. Now let's dive in the discussion with Dr. Abena. Abena, welcome. Medic Footprints is a UK-based but global platform connecting doctors with diverse and alternative careers. And in one of the interviews that you did, you mentioned how you yourself studied and trained medicine in the UK. You started your residency, uh, which was very administrative, and there was a little bit of a disillusionment and a lot of disappointment involved in what a doctor's career actually is. And it actually made you even wonder if medicine is something that you want to do for the rest of your life. But when you left the UK to work in South Africa as a trauma surgeon for two years, you realize that, that you did make the right choice, that you do love uh, medicine. So tell me a little bit about your story. So what happened in South Africa? What was so different? How did you just think about your career at that time? Yeah, thank you. You've summarized uh, a significant proportion of my life. Well done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, what happened in South Africa? I went out there really looking for a different way of practicing med medicine, different environment, different system, different people, you name it. There was a huge language barrier where I worked in semi-rural South Africa, north of Durban, if anyone knows Durban. And so it's like between the rural hospitals, the kind of semi, kind of the city hospitals, semi-tertiary hospitals. So we were in between. I, I basically achieved all those goals in the sense that I practiced medicine in a really hands-on way. The learning curve was steep. I had faced the challenge of the community, but the 
communications barrier when it came to dealing with patients. We served a population who were predominantly Zulu. And as you can imagine, no one, no, there's nowhere else in the world where they speak Zulu apart from Zululand. I learned a bit of Zulu, but you relied on nurses for the translation. And in coming from the UK, there was a lot of tension between the UK doctors and the non-UK doctors and non-UK staff, as you can imagine. But even though within that kind of mishmash and chaos, I learned a lot. It was really rewarding. And in, in some ways, it was like, it was the way that I wanted to practice medicine. I think particularly trauma in itself really suited me because I get bored very easily. And the trauma is great in the, you don't mess around. When someone comes in that unwell and they need surgery, you basically offer them it is life-saving in many cases, surgery. But it's, it's also about following a very structured approach to saving someone's life so it's not pretty it's functional and it's basically to stop bleeding to reduce infection and to stabilize someone and then the next stage would be you might need to take them back to provide more of the functional aspect and then on top of that I spent some time in the rural communities as well and again you see a lot of doctors who are doing everything because there's there's not enough resources and you realize how medicine can be practiced differently throughout the world. And actually, the skills that we have are transferable to different elements of medicine, different elements of healthcare as a whole, preventative medicine, you name it. So I guess going out, going back to your question, going out to South Africa really opened up my eyes to the opportunities that could be had using my transferable skills. And I think just knowing that enabled me to realize how valuable being a doctor really was beyond the administrative lifestyle I had led in the UK. So going back to the UK, I really loved medicine again. But again, it, I realised very quickly that I did need something else outside of medicine to to be satisfied as a human being, as who I was. Mm -hmm. Before we move to the career change that you later made and when you started Medic Footprints, I do want to stay a little bit with that comparison. So how did the processes differ from what you were doing in the UK to what you were doing in South Africa? Uh, is the the process of what a, a doctor right after finishing the studies can do different compared to what your responsibilities were in South Africa? Why was the work process so different? There were differences, there were similarities. So one of the main differences in the training pathways is that as a medical student, you get a lot more hands-on clinical experience much earlier on in South Africa than you do in the UK. So, for example, our medical students in South Africa, they were doing... In the UK, you probably won't come across a trest strain or do a trest strain until you're like a registrar. So that's at least four plus years after graduation. They'd be doing suturing, they'd be assisting in theatre, they'd be doing what junior to mid-level doctors would be doing you know all supervised but they'd still get that hands-on experience because in South Africa I'm not sure the system has changed but I think they still do it they have similar to the UK where they have two years of kind of foundation level once they've graduated and then they spend a year which they usually call their comserve year apologies if this has changed but at the time I went which is 2010 comserve it's community service so they'll be sent out to usually a rural hospital I mentioned that previously where they are expected to do pretty much everything so that's medicine and surgery and anesthetics and managing the hospital so in a relatively resource poor environment and in order to do that they need to have built up their 
the skill set quite early on and that needs to start in medical school. So I'd say that was the main difference because in the UK there's a lot more in the way of bureaucracy, medical legal and so hands-on experience comes later on depending on the specialty. Which, I mean, there, there are really great reasons for it, don't get me wrong. But just if we're looking objectively, those are the main differences. Mm -hmm. And is it when you came back from South Africa, did you go back to medicine for a while? What I'm wondering is, did the experiences that you gained in South Africa impact the trajectory that you had to go through? Or did you have to continue where you left off when you left the UK and just the system demands that clinicians uh, go through a specific path I had to continue with the same pathway so I left mm -hmm. the UK when I finished my core surgical training I came back to the UK again also for family reasons I came back and pursued urology um, as a career in order to train on a conventional pathway you have to get a training number in the UK and I wasn't I wasn't doing urology there, so in South Africa. So yeah, it was like just slotting back in to the system, mm -hmm. really, which was not a problem. But obviously, I didn't really get the trauma experience that I'd had in South Africa. So when did you decide to start uh, Medic Footprints? And what was the final straw that you decided that you don't want to work in clinical practice? For I don't think I, I consciously decided I don't want to work in clinical practice full time. But I think what happened, I was working in Blackburn. In the north of England, which is north of Manchester. If anyone knows where it was, I didn't know where it was until I got the job. And this is the thing. The way it works for doctors is like you apply for your specialty training. It could be anywhere in the country. If you are open to be work to working and living anywhere in the country and you move for the job. So I ended up in Blackburn. You know, I'm, I'm a London girl, so I was away from my family. But you take it for the career prospects, essentially on my own. And I woke up one morning thinking I've got to do something else. <laughs> I've got to I've got to really push outside of this box because I'm just following this NHS public sector pathway which may be great for some people but not but I didn't know how to go about doing it because I'd only ever worked in the NHS really I, I came from school to med school to NHS and that was it so I don't really have any experience in the outside world but then realizing there were a lot of my colleagues who were experiencing the same thing and it was all myth and folklore and anyone anyone whenever anyone left medicine it was like very hush very taboo no one really knew what happened And the people that were still in the NHS were saying, oh, that person left. Oh, and now they've got a really crappy lifestyle working in the private sector and they're overworked and blah, blah, blah. The irony is when you speak to these people, they were like, I love it out here. <laughs> I, I love not working in the NHS. I'm rewarded. I get to use my transferable skills. Yes, there are other challenges. You do well, you get rewarded compared to the NHS where the general pattern was if you do well, or you do badly, you get the same treatment. Medic Footprints came out of wanting to raise awareness and visibility about other opportunities and pathways for doctors who were exploring other avenues. Or they were so burnt out, they didn't think medicine was for them, but they had no idea where to turn. And that was a long time ago now. It's 2014 when I started it. It started with networking events where I'd introduce friends of mine who I just got talking to who were doing really in interesting things in their careers. The first one was Tet Yap, who is a consultant urological surgeon and like the owner of this like multinational fashion magazine brand called Glass. And he was working full time as a urologist and running this as an like, international fashion mogul on the side. 
on the side, I say very loosely, this is an example of what doctors can do and how resourceful and um, lateral thinkers they can be beyond the environment they usually work in where lateral thinking is not necessarily required to do your job, if that makes any sense. So it really was building up community and network and enabling doctors to, giving them permission in some way, saying, yes, you can need medicine, it's okay. Or you can just explore a little bit, do something on the side, and that's okay too. And at the moment, we've got just about 16,000 doctors in the on our subscriber list, that is. We've got lots of followers beyond that. We have visitors from over 191 countries. We've got a hub in Malaysia. There's another company in the in Australia that was created by a doctor who had heard about Medic Footprint. The problem that we're facing in the, in the UK is not unique to the UK. Let's put it that way. It's an international problem. And the vision that we have is really to ensure that all doctors across the world are happy in their careers and free to really tackle some of the world's pressing issues because they are the most talented people in the world and a lot of them are being held back by the systems and the institutions that they live in and the mindset that they're trapped in, mostly the mindset. So it really is to open up those avenues, those pathways and the mindset to enable them to be the best that they can be. Whether it's healthcare, whether it's not, it doesn't matter. It's been uh, it's been eight years with uh, 16,000 doctors on the subscriber list I'm sure that uh, there's plenty that you can tell us about the trends that you're observing, about ex expectations doctors have in terms of what their career can be, how they can position themselves. So what are you observing? To which extent are doctors just looking for something to enrich what they're already doing? Or to which extent do they really wish to leave medicine? And I'm really wondering about what the trends here are, because we know that the shortages of the medical workforce are one of the biggest challenges that healthcare is facing globally. I would say the vast majority, again, it's quite difficult to quantify this, but the vast majority, at least 50% of doctors are looking for other opportunities because they are burnt out. They're stressed because of their work or the way they've been asked to work they lack autonomy in their jobs and they're just looking for a way out of a place that they just don't really like to be in. Another proportion of doctors, they are interested just in expanding their portfolio of skills beyond clinical medicine. As we know, there are plenty of opportunities for doctors to do that in healthcare, in health tech in particular, outside and consultancy, pharma, management, you set up your own business. Doctors are great entrepreneurs. And so there are lots of doctors just looking for support in exploring that and there's some doctors who again looking going down the le specifically the leadership track they're looking to become leaders in a non-clinical capacity again it, it links to the second point where there's plenty of opportunities to do that but it's like how do you communicate who you are how do you market yourself not only as a doctor but as a lead of a company when you haven't had that experience as I mentioned, a lot of doctors don't, they don't really know how to do that. They're not very, especially in the UK, they're not very good marketers of themselves. <laughs> they totally undervalue themselves and undersell themselves. And they need support in, in doing that and navigating the world of work, which is very different in healthcare, particularly the public sector compared to in the private sector, or the wider sectors. With the digital health space growing, there's a lot of need for clinicians to take part in the private sector 
be involved in the building of products. So how do you observe the changes in this end? Do you get a lot more offers for doctors from the digital health space? How is that uh, changing? Who is turning to you as the client looking for doctors to work for them? Our role is to inform, educate, inspire and connect and connecting them with diverse career opportunities. But also our role is also to pick out the companies that are have a reputation in supporting doctors, providing them really good um, opportunities, remuneration, culture, values, ways of progressing and really making an impact in healthcare. The main clients that we work really well with are those that are growing, they're scaling. So usually post series A, where they've got a product or a service that's demonstrated a really good product market fit and they're growing their clinical team. Some need very specific types of doctors and leaders and some need a bunch of doctors over time. So I'm using telehealth as an example where got companies that are looking for GPs like all the time and what the way that we work with companies is again making sure that they are providing a suitable environment doctors are very highly talented people and they're expensive people so you really want to hire the best and the right doctors for your company so we help companies to really like really define what kind of doctors they want So, for example, telehealth company needs GPs. Saying you want a GP is just not enough. You want a GP who is going to really help grow your brand, refer more really great GPs in, provide a certain level of service, maybe even leadership in some ways. So you need to be thinking forward. How do, What kind of GP do you need, speaking to clients, to, to scale the company? And I think that the, the mistake that a lot of clients make especially when they're using generalist recruiters, they're not specialists in that area. They will just find any doctor. And doctors are quite discerning, number one, so it can take time to actually onboard them and get to say yes. And two, doctors are probably getting, particularly the ones on LinkedIn are getting approached like all the time. So unless you have a really robust, say, talent acquisition strategy, so that's not only acquiring but also retaining, then you've got a high chance of losing that doctor. And the cost of that, is hundreds of thousands easily per doctor. So our role is really to make sure that the companies have a really solid foundation in their strategy and that they support doctors in, in their growth and with their growth because that is it's a circle. It's um, interesting that you mentioned how many offers doctors get. So I really wonder uh, to which extent do doctors really even need to market uh, themselves. How do you work with doctors given that they have a lot of opportunities? To which extent do they really need to invest in their personal brands or and to which extent yeah. is that unnecessary because we've got workforce shortages? So the reality is like most doctors are not on LinkedIn. <laughs> most doctors are, if you're looking at social media, the vast majority are on Facebook or Twitter. Um, Twitter, let's ignore Twitter because that's a bit of a different platform where it's more kind of outgoing rants. A lot of doctors turn to Twitter for ranting, let's put it that way, ranting about their lives um, and their work. On Facebook, there are a lot of private groups that are doctor-only, particularly alternative careers for doctors, over 30, 30, 40,000 people, doctors in those groups. So that's just one. And so that's one of the resources that we use to promote any opportunities that come up 
But we find that doctors are on LinkedIn. They, they, we advise a lot of doctors go on LinkedIn if they want to be found to get a job. But not all doctors have necessarily know what they want. And when you're talking about selling ourselves, it's, it's a two-way street. If they, it's, our job is really about connecting the right doctors to the right jobs because we see the consequences of that not working very well. And so that's why you really have to work with both sides. When it comes to doctors marketing themselves, they, they need to learn how to market themselves because... Some jobs would be really appropriate for them more so than others. It's a complex answer, but I'm still working. I'm meant to say I'm still working as a doctor. So I am an occupational health physician. So the work that I do involves advising companies on health and safety for their employees and making sure that companies are supporting the employees and employees are working in the right way and being supported. Um, so that skill set in itself and that expertise then feeds into the work that I do with doctors and companies as well. To which extent do you, are you observing that just the fact that now opportunities are opening up for doctors in other industries or just outside clinical practice, to which extent does that impact, if it does, the way the public health system works because if we want to have quality healthcare, we need to tend to the needs that are increasingly obvious and the needs of how a work environment should look like in order to uh, retain clinicians in clinical practice. Do you see that the public healthcare system is changing because of the rising needs and expectations about how the work environment uh, needs to look like for doctors to stay in clinical practice? Is it changing? I, I can only refer to the NHS, for example. The NHS is a big beast. It's been around for a while and it was designed for acute healthcare. Obviously, now the landscape of healthcare has changed. Actually, most of healthcare is to do with preventative chronic uh, conditions and it's really struggling in doing it in the system they're also struggling to retain some of its best talent and I think that's because they're moving too slowly in in supporting the talent it's always a difficult play it's a really difficult play and the way that the system is addressing that is predominantly by opening up more medical schools which I think is not the best solution considering if you haven't turned the tap off so the tap being doctors leaving or hugely times of people leaving then that's just going to worsen the problem over time and you're just basically pouring money down the drain from what i've heard it's still really challenging to be a doctor in the nhs day to day even say like getting study leave as a junior doctor at least it's really hard and even if you do get study leave there's no guarantee that you'll actually be able to see it through because staffing and service always comes first. I understand that with the NHS, but it's not a place where it's optimally nurturing the best talent they have. And I think that's the problem that's been actually getting worse even since I left the NHS, which is 2017. Is it a problem that can be easily solved? No, it's definitely not. And I'm not pretending that it is, but I think it's, it's, it's a real crisis point. It's a real crisis point mm -hmm. for, for the public sector. Yeah, yes. th that's why I'm wondering if anything is moving in the direction of more flexibility where, for example, doctors could explore something different than the clinical practice but still be a part of the clinical practice part-time because uh, you do see cases where, for example, uh, clinicians would leave clinical practice and then return because they really see 
uh, working as a doctor as their mission. Clinical practice and public sector, they're different things. So we talk, you talk, when you say clinical practice, because there are a lot of doctors that work in clinical practice in the private sector compared to the NHS sector where you still work in clinical practice. So which, which are you referring to? Both. I guess we can we, we can start with the public sector. There's several types of things that can happen. One thing is that a doctor doctors don't want to work as doctors anymore. Yeah. The second thing is that they just w- want to work under better uh, working conditions and they go to private private practice. How, what trends do you see in that sense? I think it depends on the specialty. So general practice, for example, it's one of the most flexible specialties whereby you. I've got a, most most of them. You don't have okay. Any doctors listening to this, regardless of specialty, you don't have to train in the NHS. If you want to train, you don't need to train in the NHS. And hey, you don't need actually have to train to become a consultant. That is another story. But it's just to be aware of that. But GPs in particular, they seem to have been known to have more flexibility, and some of them will choose to do NHS work and private work as well. When I say private work, they could be working privately as a GP, say for a telehealth company, as an example, or they could be doing other stuff, anything, fill in this box here, anything. Yeah, so you're seeing a lot of doctors who are straddling, basically, and there are some that just don't want to do any more work, clinical or NHS, they just want to go. And they might, their their next step may be healthcare or health tech. There's lots of that's the kind of natural next step, but their next step might be something completely different. I've just spoken to a person who went into fashion, for example, from medicine to fashion. Not that unusual, especially if you have other interests in your life. But yeah, you find that most doctors are looking that their next step would be something wider healthcare and usually in the private sector. Are you noticing anything specific uh, in the way that tech companies approach doctors to work for them? What are the trends in the eight years that you've been uh, doing the recruiting and uh, talent acquisition? Over the last few years, there's been greater recognition into the skill sets, the transferable skill sets of doctors beyond them being face-to-face practicing doctors. We see a lot of companies, not just in health tech, who are hiring doctors, not for being doctors, but from the expertise of working in a clinical capacity, their leadership skills, their adaptability. And that can be applied in any setting. Some doctors don't want to do anything related to healthcare, as I mentioned to you before, but a lot of them are quite keen to just work on a more management leadership level, perhaps at a level where they didn't have that influence and autonomy in, say, the NHS, for example, they, could, they couldn't get to that level, but they can do a lot quicker and easily in the private sector where they are crying out for that kind of expertise. So, so those are the trends that I'm seeing more of, just a recognition that doctors can do more than the conventional, what we know as doctors. And what we're also seeing now is doctors getting involved more so, particularly in health tech, on the product side. So product development, I'm seeing more and more doctors in the software development in the, in private companies in health tech, which is really interesting. It's really broad, really broad and really exciting as well. And like a lot of leadership positions as well. So you'll see a lot of chief medical officers who do a range of things. I've seen chief operating officers as well doing a range of things. It also depends on the individual and their interests as well. So yeah, I'd say those are the main trends, just recognizing that there are way more transferable skills beyond the clinical. 
and autism. What would your advice be to health tech companies that are looking for clinicians to uh, work with, how they should approach that recruiting and what are perhaps some of the mistakes that are being made? You were talking a little bit about that earlier, about how sometimes companies are not clear enough about what exactly do they want. So maybe a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'd say number one, if you are a health tech company and you are recruiting doctors, just come to me. <laughs> I was like, we, we are honestly medic footprints run by doctors. We've developed a really high quality community of doctors who are specifically looking for jobs. We've got that expertise. We are doctors. We'll tell it like it is and we'll be able to pick the right doctor for you. Come to us. So selling myself but there you go and yeah going to our next question the common mistakes we we see is like number one using recruiters so recruit recruitment is a massive umbrella right it involves a whole range of things but i think the mistakes that health tech companies use is oh because they use recruiters for some of their other non-clinical or non-doctor positions they might use the same recruiter because it's healthcare as a whole for that purpose to find a doctor and that is a massive mistake because they don't have the network. They don't have the knowledge of the role doctors and, and what value they provide. And then they basically start trawling LinkedIn and harassing doctors. And doctors don't like that, I have to say. And those are the ones that are on LinkedIn. As I mentioned earlier, most doctors are not on LinkedIn. So they're relying on actually quite a relatively niche uh, pool of doctors, some of whom may be suitable, some not. And they may not be selling the role accurately enough or even managing their expectations. And so some of the feedback I get from health tech companies about using recruiters on that basis is that the relevance is really low. The quality is really low. The retention of doctors, if they do get through those stages and hire them, is actually really low. And so the return on investment, they end up losing money than anything else. And so what I would say is if you don't come to us and you want to find another good specialist recruiter, there aren't that many. But what I would say is make sure you use a specialist recruiter who specialize in doctors who are moving into industry or who are working in industry roles. And I would ask them certain questions pertaining to what kind of doctors they've placed before, what kind of companies, how long did it take, what were the challenges just to really understand like actually how much on the ground work they really and knowledge do they have and then compare and then come back to me <laughs> and double check whether it's the right approach we don't work like your typical recruiter we work on relationships it's all about relationships so we build this relationship with our community as we are doctors we know them really well they trust us it's all about that trust and then we build relationships with the companies and then we build relationships between the two. Most companies these days are mission and values driven. And that is what's going to keep the best talent in your company. It's making sure that their values and are aligned and they can help you grow that business. And just looking for any doctor. Like for example, it's like dating, right? You want to find a partner and you've got some really basic, oh, I want them to be six foot and I want them to be working or whatever. You could find a lot of six foot people on the street. Are they going to be for you? No, not necessarily. Actually, very unlikely. You've got to really, like, really dive into the avatar, the type of person you really want. And a lot of that is also about knowing yourself. So from a company perspective, what are your business goals? What are your missions? What drives you? Because if you communicate that clearly and articulately, 
to doctors, they will come to you before you've even asked. And so it really is about the messaging and really establishing a culture that will nurture your staff as well as your doctors, because that investment will go far. We mentioned earlier, just briefly, that there's this uh, franchise of uh, Medic Footprints in Malaysia. What's the story behind that? To which extent are uh, you collaborating uh, with them? How does that relationship work? Yeah, so Malaysia was not planned. I started Medic Footprints 2014 focusing on the UK and the UK problems and UK stories. But in doing that, we grew unintentionally grew an international community of doctors sharing those same issues, wanting that support, wanting that motivation and inspiration. And so one of them is the current founder, Selena of Medic Footprints, who we supported initially when she was considering leaving medicine altogether which eventually she did. That was a decision that she made, but she came back a year later saying, hey, Medic Footprints was a really amazing foundation for me to help make the right decision for my career. I really think something like this in Malaysia would be beneficial, but done from a Malaysian perspective. She's co-founded with another doctor who actually used to work in the UK and another Malaysian doctor. And so they're really working as a franchise, but we do work together in many other ways and we're hoping that model can be extended to various other countries we've had requests in canada south africa caribbean africa you name it like we don't have the resources to do that at this stage Mm -hmm. but the plan is really to build um, a platform an actual platform that automates the connections between doctors and diverse career opportunities to really democratize access to doctors and vice versa so doctors can access the right opportunities for them. Which basically answers almost the the last question that I had. We are going to present the Malaysian franchise in one of the upcoming episodes. That's just a hint for the listeners to stay tuned uh, to the podcast. But given everything that you said in your last answer, how do you reflect on the last eight years and see the outlook for Medic Footprints? The last eight years has been really interesting because I've, until very recently, I've continued to work as a doctor full time. I burnt out in 2016 or 17 because I was like working on medic footprints. I was training as an occupational health uh, physician because I'd moved over from surgery. Uh, Better work-life balance. I'm sure that you can identify with some of the challenges of really finding your niche and your market and understanding where the money comes from. And I have to remember, I came from the NHS. So I was not motivated by money when I first started them. But the reality is you need money to grow your business and to make the impact that you really want to make. So with our mission being that we want to dramatically elevate health outcomes in the world by connecting one million doctors with the best and diverse career opportunities in the world by 2030, we need money to do that. (laughs) That, and, you know, we're doing that because we want doctors to really make an impact moving forward. So that is our mission moving forward. And the vision is that all doctors have informed choice on their careers and they can make the impact that they want to make where it's needed. And we know that the world has a long to-do list, let's put it that way. The world has a long to-do list of really pressing problems and Many doctors are some of the most talented people you will find, not just for being doctors for any sector. 
So we really want to make sure that doctors are doing the right things in their in their lives and have the right and have access to the right opportunities to go and do that. We've got over twelve million, over twelve. We don't know how many exactly, but over twelve million at least doctors in the world, and that's gonna that's that number's increasing. So we don't want twelve million plus doctors burnt out because that is a public health problem in itself. Because you've got burnout doctors making mistakes with their patients, that is a serious health problem in, in the world and the knock on effect. So. We need to turn that around and just make sure we are supporting the doctors as much as we reasonably can and supporting companies to access them and look after them and nurture them so that the companies can need to do really impactful things in the world. We've built up such a lot of expertise over the years, working with some of the, the most big, the biggest consulting firms in the world, pharma, health tech, and we, we will keep on doing that and keep growing. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast because it really, really helps other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Stay tuned.